Welcome, everyone, to the Comedy Sports Podcast with your host, Christine Rolo Capriolo. And now, that man who knows every wrestling move invented, Dave Halfful Nelson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comedy Sports Podcast. Today is going to be crazy. It's an interesting episode, ladies and gentlemen. I have Dave Nelson. You've heard me talk about him before in the podcast. He Mm. may or may not be my husband. Dave Nelson. Hi. Hi. How are you, honey? Oh, I'm good. It's good to be here. Oh, it's good to have you here. This is exciting. It is. We're married. A little bit, Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's been a while. Our anniversary's coming up. Yeah. Uh, nobody cares. Okay, so tell us. I know, I know a lot about you as sure. we share, you know, living uh, space, our lives. Um, but our interesting listeners would love to learn about you and your connection with comedy sports. All right. So, born and raised in the Milwaukee area, Dave. That's correct. Yeah. Born and raised in Milwaukee, on the southwest side of town. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, this is just weird. And tell me about what kind of kid you were. I didn't uh, know you back then. Man, yeah. Um, I was a goofball. I was a class clown. You were? I was. A class clown. And they said uh, in fourth grade, Miss Schrader, my teacher, said that we needed to find something to channel my silliness because I was too silly in class. She said the word silly? Silliness. Silliness. Mm-hmm. We had to channel my silliness. And so she made me sign up for this thing called the Clowns of the Kingdom. I'm sorry. The what? The Clowns of the Kingdom. This is a new story. It was story. a Catholic school. Okay. And we had this clown uh, club where you join and they taught you how to be a clown and you juggled and things like that. And then they'd go around to nursing homes and cheer up old people. So Wait. it's a bunch of kids dressed as clowns going around cheering up old people. I'm sorry. Are you making this up right now? No. Have this I never real, told you this? You've never told me you well, were a clown of the clowns of the kingdom. You never asked about my childhood before. <laughs> so that was in fourth grade, and it was terrible because there was nothing fun about it. Did it you have to wear clown makeup? To, yeah. Uh-huh. I got to choose what kind of clown I wanted to be. So I was a hobo. Oh, my God. So I wore like an old suit jacket and tie and <laughs> hobo makeup and tried to make myself a bindle. Okay. That's that sack on a stick. Sure. So did this channel your silliness? No, it didn't work at all. It was just because it was a Catholic school organization. So the Clowns of the Kingdom didn't do... Why are we talking about this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, because you asked me what kind of kid I was. So that didn't work. Okay. Is my point. And I went on still being silly in class and being a class clown and getting in a lot of trouble. Okay. Uh, but that ended in high school because I joined comedy sports. Dun, right. And that is what Miss Schrader wanted in fourth grade. It was a way for me to channel my silliness. Okay. So now I could get up on stage and be silly and be funny. And I didn't have to do it in the classroom anymore. So wait, back up now. Mm-hmm. So you went from private school, Catholic Correct. school. Catholic school, yeah. To a public high school. A public high school, Milwaukee, Hamilton. Correct. Mm-hmm. 
And how did you learn about comedy sports? Was it at at Hamilton? You heard about this comedy sports high school league, or did you know of it before? I had never heard of it before, okay. but there is a comedy sports high school league. I don't know if our listeners are aware of that. They may be. And Hamilton had a team. Okay. And I actually heard about it from my older brother. Okay. He told me there's this comedy sports team. And you should look into joining it. So I paid attention to the morning announcements. And they said, the comedy sports meeting will be after school this Friday. And so I showed up and I met my future comedy sports teammates. And I felt like I fit in. Mm Oh, Was that the first and last time? Probably, yeah. Oh, honey. So did you... I wasn't an athlete. Did did you have to audition or you were just automatically... Oh, no. The comedy sports team in Hamilton was a pretty sad situation. And (laughs) anyone who wanted to sign up could sign up. It was me. I was a freshman. We had three senior girls. Okay. We had a senior named Kumua who was Vietnamese Uh and barely spoke English. But was on comedy sports? Was on comedy sports, sure. And... So that was it. That was about it. And you didn't have, there were no auditions. If you showed up at that meeting, you were on the team. Okay. So then you started what? So you are, did you start at Colts or were you in the new place? This was fall of 92. That's right. So the comedy sports on Jefferson Street had just opened. Okay. So you started going down there in the weekends for your workshops? That's right. And who ran those? Well, each team had its own coach back then. And our coach was Rob Schraub. Okay, that was the year. Yeah, that was the year that Kurt got a bunch of different coaches. Yeah, Kurt Scholler ran the high school league. Each team got a coach assigned to it. Our coach was Rob Schraub, who I don't, uh, I can't do a lot of name dropping, uh, but that's that's like the closest I can get. Well, you <laughs> could drop Rob Schraub and Christine Capriolo. And Christine Capriolo, because I married her. But yeah, so, and Rob, <laughs> then he went out to L.A. and... Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of cool stuff yeah. out there. He moved out there with Dan Harmon, his right. writing partner. Yeah. So what do you remember Rob Schraub teaching you? Can you remember one thing that stands out in your mind the in high biggest, school? The biggest thing that stands out in my mind was Rob got frustrated with us okay. because we just didn't get it. And just in general, didn't it get just, it. We just didn't. It's you know, I had never seen a comedy sports show before. I okay. had never seen an improv show before. I didn't know what this was supposed to look like. I was just doing what I thought right. was funny and doing whatever they told me to do. And I remember Ku Mua, the guy who didn't speak much English, just asking like, "Should should I walk funny?" Because he, we're doing a scene yeah. about baking cookies, and someone sent him to the fridge to get some eggs, and he was he just turned to Rob and asked, "Should I?" walk funny and <laughs> rob said sure yeah sure, do, do, it. do something funny <laughs> and, Anything, we, and it was around that time that he kind of sat us down and he said someone at some point in your life must have told you you're funny right that's why you're here that's why you joined comedy sports and he was just kind of befuddled as to why we were all there because oh, no. none of us were very good yeah that was before that was before I had done a show at that point or right. seen a show. Well, yeah. Then once I started seeing the shows and doing the shows, then, you know, at some point within the next 12 to 14 years, I it figured clicked. it clicked. So you yeah. remember advice from Rob Schraub is what are you doing here? Yeah, that's my core memory of Rob Schraub. And that and he was a very just a very good teacher. Yeah. He was a really good improv teacher. Oh, crazy funny guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hilarious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in high school, were you going down to the alewives to see them? The uh, dead alewives. Uh, when I when I was a senior, yeah, you had to be eighteen. 
right? right? Oh, yeah, so I was already in college. I'm a little bit older than So you. by the time I was a senior, yeah, we would go down and see the Alewives once in a while. Sure, mm-hmm. okay. My friends and I. I just wondered if we crossed paths back then. Oh, no, that this would have been 96. Yeah, I was out in college, you know, doing mm-hmm. my thing. Yeah. Okay, so how did you go then from Hamilton High School? Because I do know Hamilton, you're in a freshman year, but then suddenly you're hooking up on Maddie Garnis's team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a sophomore year that uh, our comedy sports team fell apart. The three senior girls and the guy who didn't speak English graduated. Okay. And that just left me. And I Nobody tried else to re- wanted to? I tried to recruit a few other people, and they yeah. just kind of lost interest. And, okay. And they had a hard time going downtown every weekend. Sure, yeah. Uh, so then I became a free agent, and <laughs> I just kind of played with whatever team would let me play with them yeah. from one week to the next. And then my junior year, the Oak Creek team... See how I said that? Oak I, Creek. I did, yeah. Uh, that was Matt Garnis's team and Jay Styes. And uh, they were short a player. Okay. And they asked me if I would play. And that was early my junior year. And okay. I played and we had a lot of fun. And then they asked, could you just join our team? Aww. So I joined the Oak Creek team uh, junior and senior year. And then I know you went to UW-Milwaukee. Correct. And what did you want to be when you were a kid? Hmm. I wanted to be a mailman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to be a truck driver. Okay. And then I wanted to be a computer programmer. Oh. And then I wanted to be a proofreader. And then I wanted to be on the radio. Oh, you have a great voice for it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. And so I went to UW-Milwaukee and majored in journalism and mass communication with a focus on broadcast journalism. Okay. So from high school then to college, you're Mm -hmm. still in the same city. You're still living at home in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. So did you go right from high school leagues to doing workshops? No. When I finished high school, so I did four years of high school league. And when I finished that, I thought, well, that's that now. I'm done with comedy sports. And I started at UWM. And at some point during my freshman year of college, I went and saw a show at comedy sports. Your first time? On a Friday or Saturday night. This would have been that would have been my first time ever seeing a comedy sports show. Oh my god. You never so went did, during high school? No. Okay. So I did it for four years in high school, performing in shows yeah. and watching other high school league shows. Sure. But I had never been to see a Saturday night or Friday night comedy sports show until my freshman year of college. And I ran into Dick that night, uh-huh. Dick Chudnow. And he remembered me from high school league. Okay. And he said, Hey, come on down and 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 work here. And work here. Yeah. <laughs> And I said, okay. And so I came in and filled out an application, and they put me on the schedule to Ballet Park in March of 1997. Oh, look at you. Mm-hmm. What are all the things you've done down there at Comedy Sports, starting both ballet parking in 97? Sure. So I started as a ballet parker. Then they had me host. I worked in the kitchen for a while as the cook. Mm-hmm. I was a waiter. I bartended. I refereed, I played, I taught workshops. I worked in the ticket booth for one day. Uh, I painted some things around comedy <laughs> sports. Um, you ran high school league. I ran high school league. Did you do minor leagues? I ran rec league. Rec league. I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of jobs. That's a lot of jobs mm-hmm. down there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how then, so when Dick said, hey, come down here and start working and you're yeah. ballet parking, did you start doing workshops? I started that summer, summer 97. Okay. And they let me skip the beginner level because I had done four years of uh, high school cool. league. And I'll tell you what, I started taking the adult workshops, yeah. the intermediate level. Yeah. And they, uh, our third week, 
of workshops, we had a guest instructor. And who's that? And it was Marvin Berkowitz. And back <laughs> then, you just took intermediate workshops for as long as you wanted to. Okay. Until they called you up to the minor leagues. Okay. So there was no, it was nowadays workshops are you do seven weeks and then a show and then seven weeks and a show. And so right. back then you just signed up and you showed up every week. And if you got called up, you got called up. And if you didn't, you didn't. Okay. So my third week of class, when we had this guest instructor, he had us all go around the room and say our names mm-hmm. and say how long we had been taking workshops. Yeah. He said, I'm Dave. Uh, I've been, you know, that's how I talked back then. <laughs> uh, this is my third week of workshops. And then someone else went, oh, yeah, I'm Eddie. Uh, this is my sixth year of workshops. Oh, and boy. someone else is like, yeah, you know, I'm uh, Gail, and this is my ninth year of workshops. And they all went around, and I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to be here for nine years Forever. before I play a show. Yeah. And I got a little frustrated. But I ended up getting, eh, I was in workshops for maybe three or four months. And then the, the John Polesnik, the regular instructor, mm-hmm. called me up and said, you can start coming to minor leagues. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how was that? That was great. I played my first professional show in December of 1997. Oh, listen to you. It was a matinee. Yeah. On a Saturday. It was for a four-year-old birthday party and a five-year-old birthday party. Okay. A crowd of about 30. Okay. I was on a team with John Scatello and Curtis Stumpfel. Oh, my God. Listen we to your memory. played against Dick Chudnow. Oh, boy. Carol Bauman Hershey. Okay. And Stefano Balser. Oh, my. I think the referee was Paul Stazak. Oh, my gosh. And we played forward reverse. Okay. And John Scatello said the word crap. And the, <laughs> the four, crowd went And the nuts. four and five-year-olds went crazy. Yes. They were very upset by that. Oh, boy. So that was my very first show in December 1997. I'm sure I was terrible. I don't think you'd be <laughs> terrible. I was probably terrible. <laughs> Well, how did it feel doing your first show and Dick Chudnow is in it? It felt great. And then a few months later, I was doing another show. So I started picking up like a show a month here and there. A few months later, I was doing another show that Dick was in. And he said at the end of the show, he's like, congratulations on your first show. I said, Dick, this isn't my first show. My first show was four months ago. You were in it. Oh, God. And he's like, oh, what was I? <laughs> so, <laughs> were you again? <laughs> yeah, so I guess it wasn't that special for him. <laughs> well, so when you were down there and mm-hmm. taking workshops and you started to go watch shows regularly? Oh, yeah. Well, then I was working. And uh, yeah. the, I'll tell you, we don't have ballet parkers anymore. No, we don't. Sports. And when you were the ballet parker, you stood out in the parking lot at 6 o'clock for a 7.30 show. And you wore a tutu and you danced the cars to their parking spots. Yeah. And then you came in at 7.30 and you were the bar back, so you asked the bar if they needed anything. If they didn't, you went in and sat down and watched the show. So I was ballet parking Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. So I was watching five shows every weekend. Right. I did that for three years. Okay. And that's the way to get good. Yeah. Is that you watch five shows a weekend for three years. Well, now, who were you watching that you looked up to? And what, oh, did, they, what did you learn in those back. three years? <clears throat> Back in those days, you had Joe Cortezzi, Holly Ignatowski, Brian Green, Paul Stazak, Angelo Farina, Kurt Scholler, various other people. And you just learn, and this is what I say, and we talk about this, that there's good improv, there's bad improv, there's good scene work, there's bad scene work. I think the biggest takeaway from watching those old timers is the goal of every game we play at comedy sports is the same, and that is to make the audience laugh. Right. There's good scene work. There's bad scene yeah. work. Great. 
terrific. But did the audience laugh? Can you get a laugh out of the audience? And that was, uh, oh, here's another thing I remember Rob Schraub telling us. Other than that, <laughs> we, other than that we shouldn't have been there. He, <laughs> he talked about the rules of improv and he said, you know, there are all these rules of improv, but really you can get away with just about anything yeah. if it makes the audience laugh. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So as you're watching for these three years and then you start performing, mm -hmm. what were you most nervous about? Being in those shows, I always thought I didn't really fit in. Why is that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I was intimidated. There were people who had been doing it a lot longer than I had, mm -hmm. and I always felt very confident and comfortable in high school. And then I started playing pro shows, and I just didn't feel. It, everyone goes through that stage well, where sure. they don't feel as confident and comfortable. And mine just lasted longer than other people's. And just the constant feeling of, uh, I don't deserve to be here. Okay. I don't belong here. Right? Does anyone else ever oh, feel sure. that? Um, well, how'd you break that then? Well, you know, I had a conversation once with Bill Bartell. Bill Bartell. You remember Bill? I remember Bill. He and I went to high school together. <laughs> and he was one of my coaches in high school league. Okay. And oh, when Bill and Todd ran it, Bill, Bill and, Bartell, and, yeah, Todd Bill Bartell and Todd Bishop and Mark Redlick, Mark Redlick, that's right, ran high school league my sophomore, junior, and senior years. Okay, and so Bill had known me for a very long time, mm -hmm. and he had played pro shows with me, sure. and he had seen me in high school league. And he said to me after a show once, after a pro show, he said, "You know, you were really funny in high school." <laughs> what happened? <laughs> right, and and he basically just it gave me a boost of confidence <laughs> because imagine that. Because he, like he said, I know you're funny. Yeah. I know you are because I've seen it. Right. Do it now. Sure. I said, yeah. Yeah. I am funny. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> and then suddenly my confidence was boosted. Good. Yeah. I also lost a lot of weight at one point. You did. I don't know if we want to talk about body image. On do you this want podcast, to talk about body image? But... <laughs> did that change something for you? Well, it did. I suddenly gained some confidence. Like I was in my twenties, and I th and I was just kind of a slob, and and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to start just doing better. And so, like, I started exercising more, and I started eating better, and started treating my body better, and lost a bunch of weight, and I was losing my hair. So I decided to shave my head. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to make it sound like those are the keys to success, changing your physical appearance. <laughs> no, but within that, it changed your confidence. It did, yeah. And your, yeah, I mean, well, because that's when you and I met. Yes, it is. Well, that I remember meeting. Mm -hmm. You were stalking me for a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, and you became a different person. A little bit, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I had a, I just, my confidence went up. Mm -hmm. I started feeling physically better. Mm -hmm. I was never a healthy kid. I was never an athlete. I just started taking a, a better approach to myself yeah. and, and started improving myself. Yeah. And with that came increased confidence. Sure. And... And people saw it then on stage. People said stuff uh, to me. They said, wow, like you, you've gotten better. Mm -hmm. Like you suddenly have more confidence up there. Yeah. And then you can, of course, swing a little too far that way. How's that? <laughs> and confidence can become cockiness, which you, you want to be careful with. And I learned that too. Those are all the things you learn in your You 20s, think you got cocky? I think. Oh, I think I did. Yeah, you did? For a while. Huh. And those are all the things you learn. And then you learn to dial it back a little bit and yeah. you find what the audience likes and what your strong suits are. It took me a while to figure out what my strong suits were. And what do you think those are? Uh, I think I'm good at scene work. Yeah. 
Um, I think I'm good at accents. Uh, you I, are a great impersonator in I, April. You are amazing. Well, thank you. Um, now I feel pressure to continue this interview as in some sort of celebrity voice. Um, <laughs> but I'm good at those things. I'm not that great at physical comedy. Hmm. Um, and that's fine. Yeah. And I think when you start out, you there aren't a lot of people to look up to when you're an improviser. Because if you do stand-up, you talk to stand-up comics and you they say who their heroes were. Sure. And it was, you know, George Carlin. Yeah. Uh, Richard Pryor. Yeah. And they can name all these stand-ups. You can't really name an improv comic. Sure. Because uh, unless you're really into that improv scene at a theater like comedy sports, there right. aren't really... At least then, they weren't really out there. Right. When I started this whole thing in 1992, I had never seen an episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway? Sure. Which well, is probably how the most... I think it probably... The British version, I think, oh, did well, at that British, point. Yeah. And it was probably on Comedy Central. Mm -hmm. uh, but you had to kind of know about it. Sure. And even if you'd seen it, you probably couldn't name any other names. Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of counter to improv. Yeah. Uh, so it was hard to find someone to look up to. And I think I looked up to Robin Williams. Because he was a great improviser. Sure. And I learned later that he wasn't so much a great improviser as he was a great ad-libber. Okay. And there's a difference because he can be in a scripted movie yeah. and ad-lib half of what he does. Sure. And he's great, but he's still working within the structure of a scripted movie. Uh -huh. Or in Aladdin, reportedly, they just kind of put a microphone in front of him right, and said, do him whatever go. you yeah. want to do and we'll animate around it. Yeah. That's great. And he is a phenomenal one-man show. Mm -hmm. But that's not improv. That's mm -hmm. not what we do when we're on stage doing improv. We're interacting with each other and we're supporting each other. Not to say Robin Williams wasn't capable of that. Well, he showed up one night and did it. He did show up one night at Comedy Sports and did it along with us. Yeah. And I wasn't there. I say us. Uh, I know. I like wish I was. I was. Uh, yeah. So... That's who I kind of looked up to, and Robin Williams was so. When you when you look up to Robin Williams, you're never gonna be that, <laughs> so, right? So because he could do everything, he could do the voices, and he could yeah. improvise dialogue, and he could be physical, and he could be crazy and loony and zany, sure. and that's just not me, and that's okay. Is what I eventually learned. Figure out what you are good at. And I think I'm good. Like I said, I think I'm good at scene work. I can mm -hmm. open a scene well. I have a good sense for where a scene should or could go next. Uh, entrances and exits. Bob Orvis told me once that some of the best work I've done uh, has been when I stay out of scenes. What? <laughs> because some people... <laughs> Bob, he's like, you know, Dave, you're really good at staying out of scenes. Oh, thanks, That's probably thanks, your Bob. strongest uh, oh, thanks, buddy. characteristic. And I, that is to say, I, I don't enter a scene if they don't need me sure. yet. And some people, especially newer improvisers, yeah. ooh, they want to get in there. Oh yeah, they're in the dugout for ten whole seconds. Yeah, and to them that feels like an eternity. Yeah, and so they'll force their way into that scene when it wasn't even necessary yet. And had they waited thirty seconds, the scene actually would have needed them to come yeah. in. And instead, they force their way in as just some zany character that nobody asked to see. Right. Uh, me, I'll sit in the dugout for two minutes. Sure. Until they need me. Yeah. And when I tell, when I teach improv, I tell them, uh, say there are three people and two of them are up on stage doing a scene and the third one is in the dugout. I tell the person in the dugout, it is not your job to figure out how to get in the scene. It is their job to give you a reason to come in. Yeah. If they are doing a good scene, 
And and so let's talk about a bad scene. A bad scene would be two people just talking uh-huh. and talking and talking. talking about maybe maybe they're even talking about what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just not doing it. Well, okay, now they're never going to give that third person a reason to come in. Right. But if the two people in the scene are actually doing something and taking the scene somewhere, which could mean a different location but doesn't have to mean a different location, they will give you a reason to come in. You just have to listen. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you and I talk a lot about the rules of improv or mm-hmm. how to play a certain game. Yes. You know, you'll come home after doing a couple shows and we'll just talk about it. You are very smart <laughs> and know, <laughs> and know, you know, I don't want to say what should and shouldn't be done, but it essentially is what should and shouldn't be done in a scene. I mean, you know, it's improv and you can break the rules of, you know, whatever game, yeah. but you definitely have an ability to sense what is going to work. Mm-hmm. in a scene. How do you think that came to be in you? Was that just watching so many shows? Well, I think I've probably watched, I, I would estimate I've been in 2,000 to 3,000 shows. Mm-hmm. And then I've probably watched an additional 1,000 oh, or 2,000. I think you're on the low end, yeah. That I wasn't in. And so you just see what works and you see what doesn't work. And then you, and then instinct comes in. And if our scene is taking place in a shoe store and we've been in the shoe store for two minutes now of our four minute scene, maybe it's time to get out of the shoe store. I don't know. You know, (laughs) like there are only so many things you can do. And I'll give you a great example because somebody in my workshop asked, how do you know what Mm -hmm. to do next in the scene? How do you know if you're supposed to follow the lever? Does everybody listening know what follow the lever means? Why don't you explain it, Dave Nelson? All right. You know, there are two people in a scene. One of them decides to leave and go to a different location. Mm -hmm. Follow the lever means the focus of the scene will follow the person leaving. It doesn't necessarily mean, and this is where some people don't understand it, it doesn't mean everyone in the scene physically follows that person. It means what we will see next. If somebody says, well, I'm going to go out back to the shed and get the lawnmower. The next thing we see is that person going to the shed and getting the lawnmower. We being the the audience. We being the the audience. audience That's the next thing the audience will see. And some people miss that. So when in doubt, just follow the lever. Yeah. Whatever location we're in now, we've probably all seen enough of it. Mm -hmm. And it will give your scene a certain depth if you can take it to another location. And then you could go back to the original location. Stop it. No, you can't. At some point. Oh, my God. And every time you go to a new location, the people in the original location can come into that new location and play new characters. New characters? Yes. And then when we get back to the original location. And so I... I tell the workshoppers, these are the things that an audience member watches in a show. And if you ask them why was the show good or why was the show funny, the average audience member can't put a finger on it necessarily. They can't identify. But this is what separates us from the people who have never done this before. Sure. So the people in the audience who have never done improv before can't do a multi-location, multiple-layered scene where two different narratives are going on at the same time and we bounce back and forth between the two. Uh, It's important to be funny and it's important to play the games and all that kind of stuff. But if you really want to impress an audience and make them say, here's your goal, you want them to laugh Mm -hmm. and you want them to say, oh, I could never do that. Yeah. Then add some layers to your scene. Show them what you're capable of. That's great. Thank you. You know a lot. (laughs) I try. (laughs) Well, no, you do. And so how do you, 
I mean, your years of watching professional shows, which mm-hmm. is huge. When I was in high school, we'd always go down and watch shows. When I was in college, I'd, I'd go watch shows, mm-hmm. you know, and then when I came back, I'd watch shows. So, but a lot of people not don't necessarily do that. They don't get the experience of watching shows. When right. I taught workshops down at Comedy Sports, I would ask, how many of you have seen a show? Mm-hmm. One, two people would raise their hand. I'm like, yeah. what are you doing? Go watch a show. Right. You get in free. So, yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> so... What's something in improv? What's something you want to try that you don't think you've had the chance to try yet as far as performing? Hmm. Does it have to be within improv? Um, I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, you want to magic mic it up? Exotic dancing. <laughs> um, well, I've always said I wanted to try stand-up. Really? Yeah. And, you know, I've been doing improv for 27 years, and I know a lot of stand-up comics. It's not sure. like I've never had the opportunity to do stand-up. You've never tried <laughs> like, it. I could yeah. go to an open mic. I've done it twice. You have. But both times, it was a themed... Well, it was a themed show the first time. Parenting was the theme. And a couple of stand-up comics in Milwaukee asked me to come on down. And yeah. they said, you know, Dave, we, don't, we know you don't do stand-up, but it's... We're going to have five stand-up comics, and the theme of the night is parenting. And if you could just get on stage and tell some funny stories about parenting, you know, that'll do. Five yeah. minutes. And I said, yeah, okay, sure, I could do that. And then as the date came closer, they said, all right, Dave, we got you down for 15 minutes. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> oh, I agreed to five. Uh, but I did it. I did like 12 minutes, and it went fine, and yeah. I got a lot of laughs. But again, it was a themed night. Everybody sure. in the audience understood that they were coming to watch and hear parenting stories. And so I thought I did fine then. Yeah. And from that, the five or six of us who went up that night got booked to do a second show later that summer. And so I went back and did it again. On parenting and, again? Um, I, I did about half the same stuff and then came up with some new stuff. Talked about my vasectomy. Which is parenting related, I suppose. <laughs> that was fun, and uh, and that went great. Yeah. It was terrific. What, what was did you What did you share about ago. parenting in your stand-up routine? Oh, um, well, our our kids are right here are. because we have kids, and we uh, both wanted to do this podcast today. We kind of had to bring them along, <laughs> so okay. they're here. So uh, you know, I don't want to embarrass them or anything. <laughs> Oh, you don't want to share what I talked about yeah. regarding parenting. Nah. Oh, well, I talked. Well, okay, I'm getting the thumbs up. Well, I talked about the time our son pooped in his pants, <laughs> and uh, and I told him it's okay. I just did it myself last week, <laughs> which was the truth at the time. <laughs> so uh, it's you know it's okay. We all we, sometimes we all think a fart is coming, <laughs> and it turns out we were wrong. So. Uh, yeah, I know. I all right. So, how has parenting mm-hmm. changed your performing? Like, do you have a new insight into something? Like, I used to hate doing matinees. Oh my god, right. I never did matinees. I mm-hmm. never did them. I just refused to be available. But now, kind of the only way I can sometimes fit it in my schedule is to do a matinee, and I don't mind it anymore. Right. How's, how's it changed? Uh, that's that's pretty much how it's changed for me. I I don't have any brilliant insight. It's not like I can do, I don't know if I can do improv better since becoming a parent, but I can definitely do shows for kids and I can do shows now for drunk adults, which are basically kids Kids. and I can do it with more patience now. So I'll do a show, an hour long show for a group of Cub Scouts Mm -hmm. 
and it'll be just two of us, two improvisers doing the show. And it'll be me and someone who doesn't have kids. And you look over at the person who doesn't have kids and they're just kind of, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> they look like they're about to cry and right. they're losing their patience. And they're saying, okay, kids, come on now. Shh, 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 shh. What we're doing up here is brilliant and yeah. you should be watching us. And the kids are just, blah, blah, blah. and I, I, once you become a parent, you just don't care about yeah. that anymore. <laughs> just do your show. The kids, you know, they'll pay attention to the parts they want to pay attention to. Which is and true of a fine. drunk audience. Right. Which is true of a drunk audience. And, and you don't even notice that 20 kids are screaming while you're trying to do or the volunteer just peed his pants mm -hmm. right which happened right tell about that sure we got a kid named frankie uh oh, frankie. to come up on stage once it was me and mike kouth doing a, a show for a group of kids yeah. and we asked for an audience volunteer and little frankie came up and we played dr know-it-all it was me and mike and frankie was in the middle and he, at one point, we should have known it was coming because he started, he had, his legs were crossed and he was kind of hopping up and down. Oh, no. And I thought he was just having fun. Yeah. And we're in the middle of answering a question as Dr. Noel, and then suddenly Frankie just pees in his pants and there's pee everywhere and it's all over his pants and all over the floor. And that's time for the game of Dr. <laughs> Noel. Give it up for Frankie, everybody. Good job, Yay, Frankie. Get out of here, Frankie. Frankie. All right. Go ahead. Yeah. And then Mike kind of stalled. He got on the <laughs> microphone and started talking while I ran and got paper towels oh. and mopped up Frankie's pee. And I was not a, a dad yet. So here I am. That was before? This is before I became a dad. So here I am wiping up pee with those brown paper towels oh, that you get in school cafeteria, in, uh, in bathrooms. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm gently, gingerly mopping up this pee, being very careful not to touch any right. of it. You don't know what and, Frankie's got. Right, and I'm wiping it up. <laughs> And then some dad comes over and holds out his hand for me to hand him the paper towels. <laughs> he doesn't care. And this guy's a dad, right? Yeah. So I very gently, with like two fingers, pick up the paper towels and hand them. And he just takes both hands <laughs> and just clasps the pea-soaked <laughs> paper towels. He's like, thanks. Hey, thanks for mopping that up. I said, those are soaked in pee. And he's like, yeah, I know. And he wiped his and, mouth. And right. And he walks in. <laughs> this guy's a dad. He's a bit, And now I understand that as a dad. That, that yeah. The, what, you think this is the first time his dad has touched pea-soaked paper towels today? And, Not uh, even close. And then Frankie... For, as for him, he reappeared in the audience 10 minutes later with the dry pair of pants that his parents had packed for him that day. This <laughs> so, wasn't Frankie's first rodeo either. Right. And, uh, and nobody, the great thing was nobody in the room cared. Right. <laughs> like the kids didn't care. So, uh, well, I have a memory of being pregnant mm -hmm. and asking will you change diapers when we have the baby? Yeah. And you saying, of course, Yeah. I'll change the diapers, but I'm going to put gloves on. And I laughed. Did I really say you that? You did. And I'm like, what, are you going to put a hazmat suit on? And you're like, no, I'm going to put gloves on. I'm like, you're not going to put gloves on. And you're like, just look, I'll change diapers. I'm going to put gloves on. I, I thought, remember. okay. I don't remember that. Yeah, no, you never did. Oh. Because you get covered in pee as a parent. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. I mean, not getting covered in yeah, and I changed probably as many diapers as I've done comedy sports shows, right? Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably two to three thousand, oh right? Oh, Lord. <laughs> so somewhere along the way, you started refing. Yeah. Tell me about that. You have a particular ref style. I do? You do. Talk oh. about your refing. Well, I always wanted to ref. I thought I'd be good at it. Mm -hmm. And then, when, you know, you talk about strong suits, and I always thought 
I don't know if this applies anymore. I, I, there was a time when I thought I was a better ref than a player that I could contribute more to the show as a ref. Why, why did you think that? Uh, I think one of the great things about being a ref was there was no pressure to be funny. (laughs) I guess I'm just lazy. It's what, and, uh, I, I learned that when I'd go out and ref, I'd stand there on the playing field and address the audience. And it freaked me out the first time. Because I thought, wait, nobody's laughing. Oh, this is bad. Nobody's laughing. And then I realized, wait, nobody needs to be laughing right now. I'm just explaining how the show works or explaining how this game or that game works. And then I, once you realize that, that takes all the pressure off. So now you can ref and you can slip a joke in every once in a while. And if it goes well, awesome. Uh If it doesn't go well, that's okay. You're the ref. Just keep the show moving along. Right. And when I came to that realization, I became more relaxed as a ref. And I think my number one goal as a ref, and again, you know, you talk about how we're supposed to do things or not supposed to do things. Mm-hmm. And basically, I know the way we're supposed to do everything. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, you do know everything. <laughs> I sure do. Uh, <laughs> my number one goal as a ref is just keep the show moving. That's yeah. my job. I'm, I am up there. Nobody's up there to see me. And... There were refs I would watch back in the old days. Some refs kept the show moving at a great clip. Yeah. Some refs thought, oh, this is my chance to do stand up. Mm -hmm. And they would insert jokes. Sure. And they would build a repertoire of jokes over time. Yeah. And this joke works, that joke works. So they'd keep adding it to their refing, but they'd never subtract any jokes. And so then you'd end up with a ref who was joke, 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 and now you have a two-hour show right. that was supposed to go 90 minutes, and a great percentage of it is the ref telling jokes. And so I've always thought I'm not going to do that as a ref. Mm-hmm. Do I have one or two stock jokes? Sure, fine. But I'm not going to keep adding to it. Right. My job is to keep the show moving. Okay. And if I can slip something funny in every once in a while, I will do so. Yeah. Uh, but I think... And you learn that refing high school league shows. So I refed several high school league shows, and the parents, the, the audience is made up of parents of high school leaguers. Right. They are there to see their kids. Yeah. So they are really not there to see me. Yeah. On a Friday or Saturday night professional show, the people in the audience don't know anyone in the show. Mm-hmm. But at a high school league show, they're all there to see their kid. They're there to see little Jimmy. Right. I'm up there in the ref stripes. My job is to start this show as quickly as possible mm-hmm. so the parents can see their kids. And so that's how I learned how to ref. And I think I really believe an audience would rather see a show, a 90-minute show with eight games in it, four games in the first half, four yeah. games in the second half, than a 90-minute show with six games in it and a whole lot of ref talking. Yeah, a whole lot of yeah. like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to. You right. got an amazing compliment from mm. Angelo Farina about your reffing skills. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, Angelo's a man of few words, so this won't take long. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, say, uh, he said, well, I think you're the best ref we got right now in Milwaukee. That was it. And he was the original ref. Yes. So how did that feel? That felt great. That had to have because you have expressed before. I mean, you don't you didn't have that much confidence playing for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And then to hear Angelo say that to you. Yeah. He like I said, he was the first ref. He wrote the ref spiel. Yeah. That a lot of us do at the beginning of the show back in the 1980s. And 
I think he was of the old school philosophy that the ref's job is to keep the show moving. Yeah. And the other style of refing, the more here's my chance to do stand up style. I think that developed over time. Sure. With some with certain people. And so I think I was doing it his way almost. And so, yeah, he he said that to me once. Just kind of an offhanded remark. We were talking about refs, and he said, well, I think you're the best ref we got right now. And maybe that's because he wasn't refing anymore. That's why he said <laughs> If I was, you'd be second. He was missing his legs at that point. Oh, God yeah. rest his soul. Yeah. Uh, and, and then every once in a while, he'd compliment a particular game that I had refed. So, like, I remember one time we ended a first half with switch interview. Okay. And we all went backstage at halftime. Yeah. And Angela wheeled by on his Segway uh, on his way outside to smoke a cigarette. Sure. And he pointed to me on his way out and he said, Dave, that's how you ref switch interview. So I always, that always felt pretty good. Yeah. When Angela would give me that Yeah, compliment. for sure. Yeah. That's <laughs> on his Segway <laughs> at the picnics, he'd wheel by and tell you something about the brewers and yep, then wheel always. away with his little <laughs> transistor radio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Angelo. So as I'm thinking of Angelo, the godfather for Rena, mm-hmm. how did you get Dave half full Nelson? I don't know. You don't know? No. <laughs> That's a great story. <laughs> That's, well, do you, uh, let me ask you this. Do you ask the other players how they got their nickname? Every single person. Oh, okay. Do, <laughs> any, of, do any of them know? Everybody knows. Oh, okay. <laughs> you got nothing for me? I, you know, okay. Make it up. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, it was a... Summer of 1997. <laughs> right. Um, PJ Rockwell. Yeah. Who was Mr. Voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he just... I didn't really have a nickname. <laughs> and the full Nelson is a wrestling move. Sure. As is the half Nelson. Okay. And so he decided that when I played, he would introduce me as Dave Half Nelson. And when I refed, he would introduce me as Dave Full Nelson. Oh, so see, there's a story. I guess there's a story. But that went on for a few years before he pointed that out to me. You had <laughs> I no had idea. never noticed yeah. <laughs> that I was Dave Half Nelson when I played and Dave Full Nelson when I refed. Okay. And uh, so I guess I had never noticed. And then PJ pointed it out to me, the half and the full. And then over time, it just evolved into Dave Half Full Nelson. Half Full Nelson. Yeah. Okay. See, there's a story. I guess there is a story. Yeah. PJ Rockwell gave me my PJ nickname. PJ Rockwell. Mm-hmm. Oh, honey. So how do you think comedy sports has changed since, I don't know, maybe, I mean, I know you did high school, and but when you started performing on a regular basis to now, you've obviously changed. Mm-hmm. But what, because you're now just married to an incredible lady, mm. but what has changed as far as the shows or, you know, improv? I, I think now there's more of a focus, for better or worse, there's more of a focus on good scene work. Hmm. And now it sounds like I'm contradicting myself a little bit because I said I pride myself on my good scene work. Mm -hmm. And I think good scene work is important. I think sometimes we get a little bit hung up on scene work and forget that our mission is to be funny. Sure. That our mission is to make the audience laugh. I think our scenes have more depth and are more impressive now than they used to be. I think the show overall used to be a little bit sillier and i wish Hmm. we'd have more of that 
Why do you think? What makes you say um, that? Well, you look at a guessing game, okay. for instance. Any of the guessing games we play, four things, five things, six things, any of the gibberish guessing games. At some point, I think that there's this enormous pressure now to get it right, to mm-hmm. get all of the, the stuff right when you're the guesser. And if you put so much pressure on yourself to get it right, you forget that that's not the point of the game. The point of the game is to make the audience laugh. That's the same point yeah. of every game that we play. So when you're miming, you're not miming for the guesser. You're miming for the audience. Well, and I think that's part of the stages of improv, of being yes. a performer. I think when you start, you want to prove you have the right to be there. You want to be funny. You want to stand out. You want the crowd to love you. And you don't really focus on the audience. Right. You focus more on yourself and the more mm-hmm. experience you have and the more comfort level you bring, then you realize, oh, wait a second, this isn't for me. This is for them. Yes. Yeah. And that's, it's all about comfort level. Like we talked yeah. about, you know, Mike Kauth. Oh, for sure. How funny is he? Oh my God. I'm peeing my pants right now thinking oh, about it. Oh my God, a funny guy. He is. We played a guessing game a few weeks ago and during notes, I pointed everyone to something that Mike had done in the game that I thought was terrific. Mm -hmm. He had to mime Mr. Rogers. Okay. And he has 10 seconds to do it, which is not a lot of time, Mm -hmm. but it kind of is. It kind of is for an improver. And so he did the whole thing. He walked through the stage door as Mr. Rogers singing the in gibberish, the Mr. Rogers song, he went over to the closet and took off his jacket and put on a cardigan and, and zipped shoes, it up, yeah. sat down on a, one of the blocks, <laughs> took off one of his shoes and tossed it into his other hand. And you can do all that in 10 seconds. Oh my God, in three, yeah. And the person guessed it correctly. Sure. They guessed Mr. Rogers. But what's more important is that the audience loved it. They loved watching him do the whole thing from because start to finish. Kauth is good at taking his time and showing it. Yes. He didn't rush through it, right? Right. And what I said to everyone is pay attention to that. Yeah. Because he could have gotten the guesser to guess Mr. Rogers by sitting down and quickly tossing one shoe into the other hand. Mm-hmm. That would have done it. Sure. Guesser would have gotten Mr. Rogers. Would the audience have laughed mm-hmm. as much as they laughed at the entire visual of him walking in, singing the song, taking off the yeah. jacket, putting on the sweater, doing the shoe, and just with this smile on his face this whole time while in gibberish singing the Mr. Rogers <laughs> theme song. That's what got the laugh. Right. And the guesser still guessed Mr. Rogers sure. correctly, so we still got there. The crowd was a part of it, though. Yes. Yeah, and that's uh, we talk about what's changed, and I'm trying not to sound like a negative Nancy here, but it's it's. I I wish we would have more fun playing the guessing games. I wish we would mime for the audience instead of miming for each other. Yeah. Um, Well, that comes with time. mm Mm-hmm. And and to keep, and that's where the value of notes comes in. Yes. Now you and I are both proponents for notes of notes Mm -hmm. proponents, pro of notes. We both like notes. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So what's a good way to give a note? Well, the way to not give a note, like it's, I think that's easier to identify. You should never say to someone, Hey, remember when you did this thing or said that thing, you shouldn't have done that. Not a choice. You shouldn't have said that. Right. Um, Just to explain to them Here's how you could have done this in a different way. Yeah. And explain to them that I was watching when you did this or that. And maybe try this or that next time. And to remind them 
like I said, it's hard to say to somebody, if you ever find yourself in these exact circumstances again, playing this same game with this same suggestion in these circumstances, you should do this instead of that. You can't do that. But you can remind them of everything I'm saying here, that the the goal is to make the audience laugh. Yeah. don't mime for the guesser, but mime for the audience. Just keep that in mind next time. Yeah. Next time you're in a scene and somebody leaves, remember you have two choices now. You can keep the scene where it is, or the next thing we can see is where that person is going to. Yeah. Just remember that next time. I think that's the best way to give notes. Well, honey, I think you should teach again. Oh. I think you are very full of myself knowledge <laughs> and um, you just want to get me out of the house one night well, a week. maybe that'd be nice um so i'm gonna put these pieces of paper here and i want you to pick two of those pieces of paper those are all different comedy sports games okay and then i want you to tell me which one you'd rather play in a show tell me about those games and which one you really enjoy what you'd rather play okay i'm picking one <laughs> okay I'm watching you while I'm doing this so that I'm not looking at the papers. I'm and I'd watching rather, you watching me. I'd rather look at you anyway. <laughs> oh, we have two very different games here. All right, what do you got? Forward Reverse and Products International. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I, know which one, I know which one you'd rather play. <laughs> Products International. You know what? This is going to be hard. You know nothing is easy with me, right? Because uh, you live much with so. me. Because yes. I can look at these two games, and I guess my first inclination is I'd rather play Forward Reverse. But then I look at Products International, and you know what? Audiences love that game. Ugh. <laughs> There's we something don't, I don't understand. And we don't play it often. You're right. So maybe I'd rather play that. See, you just want to be the... just You, you do that. You, but, you pick the opposite just to piss me off. Well, I, like, what do they call like, that De- when you're debating? Contrary? You, no, the devil's advocate. Yeah, devil's advocate. You do that. Oh, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, forward Reverse is a blast. I love Forward Reverse. It's a great game. It's a terrific game. It's my game. favorite game. And here's what I tell people with Forward Reverse. Make a lot of motions. Yes. You know how few people do that? It's unreal. It's game. just standing like, still. All you have to do in forward reverse is do a scene with large motions. Everything you say should be tied to emotion. <laughs> right. And <clears throat> use your entire playing field. Yes. Yes. You walk over here to grab a pitcher of lemonade, but the glasses are on the other side of the oh room. So you walk over to the other side of the room to grab the glasses. Who set up this and kitchen? And then you do this. And then, oh, you forgot something <laughs> over here. So you walk back. Yeah. And I've seen forward reverse played so many times where everything they need is within right arm's there. reach. You picked my favorite <laughs> game and my least favorite game. Okay. That's bizarre. And then Products International. Um, yeah, you're terrible at this game. I'm I've, awful. I've watched you. It's so bad. <laughs> I watched you play it. And I think the topic was cars. Oh, God. I don't and know. at the time, you were driving a Mitsubishi Lancer. Okay. And that was the only car you knew. <laughs> I don't know. How do you know and, cars? You and, and our so daughter you, do too now. You it's ended amazing. a sentence with the word Lancer, and then that was it. That's all you had. I got nothing. That game is so impossible. And I think it was cereal once. And Well, that's when I was with Brian Green, <laughs> and he was. we were doing cereal, and it came to my turn, and I said, all right, let's go to the 
brand muffin that's all I can think of and he just laughed at me and they called me out and I'm just I'm I'm so bad at work well you know I'm bad at words to begin with I'm a visual artist I'm a visual learner and you are a word man I send you a love note and you send it back to me with red corrections all over it hmm ah that's nothing honey see exactly now that I couldn't I couldn't even how did your brain just do that I'd like to purchase this air conditioner do you accept checks I, I, Checks is a cereal. I, That's I, how you play products no, international. You, you end every cash and ch- cheer, change Cheerios. Cheer, Cheerio. Oh. I can't do. It. <laughs> I, can't I don't do believe it. you. Now you're just playing tricks. You're such a jerk. <laughs> yeah, well, you're my lucky charm. Well, that's life. Oh God. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah. I, <laughs> watched you play it where you'll just you'll say a sentence and then you'll just add Captain Crunch <laughs> I don't know how your brain oh and Brian Green's brain See, and Bruce I... Brinker's brain could do these puns and ju- they just come to you I can't even form a sentence on a regular basis yeah. my students fill in what I'm saying I'm like guys get the, uh, the and they're like watercolors I'm like yes get the watercolors like I I don't know. It's just a strength you have with words. Well, that's why you're very good at forward reverse. You make silly faces. Yeah, I can be and silly you do and silly look like motions, an idiot. right? Yeah. And and then we get to see that all over and over again as we call switch, switch, switch. <laughs> so I don't know. I didn't play your game right because <laughs> well, I want to play both of these games now. All right, I'm going to do another game with you here. <clears throat> all right. It's this. Would you rather? I got mm. a new deck. All right. Here. Pick a color. Yellow, pink, purple, blue, or green? Blue. All right. Would you rather lose your memory or your vision? Oh, my gosh. I'd rather lose my memory. Really? That's awful. I've lost both. This is terrible. Hmm. Why would you rather lose your memory? Well, losing my vision is like one of the worst things I could think of happening. I'm a proofreader and copy editor, so I wouldn't be able to do my job if I lose my vision. More importantly, I wouldn't be able to look at my beautiful wife. (laughs) I wouldn't be able to look at my kids. That would be awful. That would be awful, and I wouldn't be able to see them grow. So I would never want to lose my vision. Of course, if I lost my memory, I wouldn't wouldn't know who the hell they are. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, I'd I'd rather do anything than lose my vision, I think. All right, one more. Mm -hmm. Would you rather find out that the love of your life is a space alien Hmm. or a robot? Oh, definitely a space alien. Why, Why do you mean definitely a space alien? Well, that's still a living creature. If you're a robot, then we're getting into some pretty sick stuff we'll here. Have to, <laughs> we'll have to process this at home over dinner tonight. Okay. Dave, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, I've been thank wanting, you for having me here. I've been wanting to interview you since I started this. I hope this went well. I think it went well. This is okay. the longest stretch of time you and I have gotten along and had a conversation <laughs> in a very long time. Oh, man. <laughs> Should take these mics home with us. I'm telling you. No, really, I appreciate it. And I think you have become a very strong player. Oh. And um, I appreciate 
all your knowledge about improv. And I love talking about comedy sports with you as you know, after you perform at night and we talk in the morning, I'm always Mm -hmm. begging you to tell me everything about the show and you never want to talk about it when you first wake up because you're cranky. But I love talking about improv with you. I think you have a lot of really interesting insights and I think a lot of people could learn from you. Well, the world would be a better place if everyone just listened to me. Well, that's that's true. You just got to be less grumpy. So thank you for coming in, Dave. I love you and I appreciate you being here. I love you. Thank you for having me. The Comedy Sports Podcast is produced and engineered by Kyle Hannigan. Our announcer is PJ Rockwell. Feel free to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Send all complaints to Dave at thegrammargeek.com. Created and hosted by me, Christine Rolo Capriolo. Thanks for listening. The Comedy Sports Podcast is an independent production made by CSE Players. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast host and any guests are their own and do not represent the views and opinions of any CSE location or CSE worldwide. Vocabulary used by the host and guests is not necessarily representative of the CSE brand.